Man, have a seat. Man, I'm excited for today. We're back in Judges. We've been out of Judges for, I don't know, six weeks. We've got a couple baptisms at the end of the service today. Very excited about that. Probably have some family here to, to see that, and that's, that's good. And uh, I'm excited to get to that. So that gives me a, a drive here to get there quickly as the clock is ticking. But we're back to uh, Judges. Just in case, you know, we have so many first-time guests, so many people that come along into the stream that maybe weren't here with us from the beginning of Judges. And so uh, after a few weeks off, I want to give you a quick review and quote uh, a, a great pastor theologian who actually passed away a few days ago, Tim Keller. And uh, he, uh, he wrote that the book of Judges is about this. This is probably one of my favorite lesser-known Tim Keller quotations. Uh, the book of Judges is about despicable people doing despicable things. Trashy tales about dysfunctional characters. That's good, Dr. Keller. Uh, and it was that phrase that I read 10 years ago. I said, I want to preach the book of Judges someday. I want to tell trashy tales from the uh, pulpit. And I, uh, who would say, well... You're doing it. You're getting it. We're, we're there. It's a dismal story. There's no happy endings. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse as it goes. And today isn't any different than the other ones. And you say, well, then why in the world are we spending time going through it? Shouldn't we just maybe hear more about the stories of Ruth in the Bible? Those are great. And I loved that. And here's why. Judges is the story of judges, of a, of a hero. But the hero is who? Jesus. It's God. It's Holy Spirit. It is, it is also to show us that the Bible is not, you don't approach it as a book of virtues. Like, oh, if I do these things, I can get more of God. It, it shows us that. It shows us that even when we only do what's right in our own eyes, God still relentlessly pursues you. Have you guys experienced that in your life? Does anybody ever do what's right in your own eyes? No, all of you have, have achieved it, right? It shows that there's always a ton, a ton of tension between God's grace and God's law. You probably experienced that. In other words, God says, do this and I will do this. But he also says, I will always be with you. There's some tension in that. Like, how do we walk that line, you know? It shows us that there is a continual need for spiritual renewal within God's church. I mean, what do we say? You've heard me say it. What is Israel in this case, and probably our case too, what's our biggest issue? Memory. We forget who God is. And it shows us that there's a difference between the true King Jesus and all the other kings that we put in his place. And you will really see that today. God is in charge no matter what it looks like. God is in charge. He knows what he's doing. He is perfect. Perfect. So today we pick back up with another judge, and I've titled today's sermon, The Foolish Judge. The Foolish Judge. He has a name that's Jephthah, which is hard to say. There's a P, an H, a T, and an H, all together. Jephthah, okay? Lots of people know the popular judges. You could probably name some of them. Who are the popular judges that we've covered so far? Gideon, right? We like Gideon. Judge Deborah. Debbie, you'll never forget her. Maybe even the lefty judge you know. And next week, we're going to start probably the most famous judge. Samson, Samson right? Uh, we, sometimes we name our dogs after Samson. They did. I'm sorry. Uh, and I dare I say, they, they are very popular. But Jephthah is not a bedtime story. Jephthah is not what you preach when you get invited to speak at the high school commencement address. You know, you may be Gideon, maybe Gideon, maybe Samson, not Jephthah. 
You don't buy a picture book of Jephthah, right? Yet, here we are. We've got a foolish judge who I'm going to tell you is going to show us a lot about ourselves. I think that's why it's in there. But, for those of you who are following closely, he doesn't come next. There's a couple judges that we're going to skip over. Do we have permission? We can do whatever we want. We're adults, right? Uh, we're going to skip over them. Entire generation, they forget God again. We kind of know that as it gets. But we get down to verse ten, uh, 6 of chapter 10. So chapter 10, verse 6, Jephthah. The people of Israel, this should be like so wrote by now. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Notice it says the Baals. That means all sorts of gods, all sorts of idols, the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab. Remember Moab, right? You never forget Moab. The gods of Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of who? Philistines, who you will hear a lot about in the next three weeks, and into the hands of the Ammonites, and they crushed and oppress the people of Israel. Now, for those of you that have been following along, you should get this right. What do you suppose Israel is about to do? Mm -hmm. Cry out for what? Help. Help. In verse 13, after they cry out for help for a few minutes, here's God's response. And this is a twist. This is the first time we've heard him respond like this. He says, towards the end of verse 13... I will see you no more. What? That's not how he normally responds. And in verse 14 he says, Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Say what? Let them save you. Now, finally, God says something like I would say it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, yeah, finally, right? Because that's how I respond sometimes. Oh, your method's working great. You need my help? No, no. Keep it up. Keep it up. Now, I don't think he did it like that. But this is definitely a different twist. This is what we see here. You see, idolatry is rampant. Rampant. And God is about to give them the judgment for idolatry. And I wrote it out. The judgment for idolatry is what? Idolatry. You catch what I'm saying? How does God judge you when you're in deep with idolatry? He says, you can have it. Let's see how that works out for you. Oh, you want to, you want to serve idols? Serve them all. You can have it because your problem's a memory problem. It's not just that idolatry leads to bondage, but bondage leads to what? More idolatry. The more I'm into idolatry, the more idolatry I get into. It's crazy. When sin enslaves you, you often try to find deliverance by going harder after the thing that enslaved you. We do. We all do it. The very thing that enslaved you in the first place just continues to do it. So you may be sitting here thinking, man, it's a good thing I don't have any idols in my life. Whew. Lucky. I'm good to go. I mean, they listed seven different ones. I don't know if you counted. I counted. They listed seven different ones. And you're right. You most likely are not bowing down to the gods of Moab. Anybody in here just down from Moab? <laughs> but let's not let that verse pass by without placing it under a microscope a little bit and placing our heart under the microscope a little bit. 
An idol in the Bible is not just a statue that you bow down to. It wasn't that for them either. It's actually a cop-out when we say that. Oh, I don't have any golden calves. I don't have any of this in my house. An idol is anything you go to for power and joy and significance other than God. So let me re-ask the question I didn't ask in the first place. Do you have any of those idols in your life? Here's a quiz. I'm going to give you a statement. You ready? If I have success, I will have more money, and that will bring me more joy. What's the idol in that sentence? There's like one or three, right? It's probably success. And so the more success I get, that's my idol, the more I have to do what? Bow down to it. And so the judgment can be more money. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound bad. Eventually it will kill me. Eventually it will kill me. I can use my gifts, my talents to gain notoriety. I can do everything. The judgment for idolatry is more idolatry. I can find power, joy, significance, safety, you name it, as long as I find it apart from God, right? That is idolatry. And those things are idols, and they will lead to bondage, enslavement, and misery. It may take a while, but the cycle don't lie. It may take a while. So I'm going to ask you this question as we're easing our way into Judges 10. Have you ever stopped to consider that you're following the wrong God? And will you do it today? Have you ever stopped to consider that you're following the wrong God? And will you do that today? Maybe you've chosen the wrong thing. Maybe you have. To put your power, your joy, your significance. Maybe you've chosen wrong. Israel chose wrong over and over and over and over again. Look at the verse in Jeremiah 2.13. I think I turned it in. I hope I did. Jeremiah, oh, yeah. I love it when I do what I'm supposed to do. Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed how many evils? Two. First one, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns. That's a well, okay, that can hold no water. So I'm going to summarize that. What are the two things? They have done this. They have rejected God and then replaced God. That's what he's saying. My people have committed two evils. One, they rejected God. Two, they replaced God. In their case, it said they dug a well to fill with something other than God. Now, the crazy part is they had a well that was full, that would give you everything you could ever need to be happy, joyful, successful, all those things. They had that, and they said, I don't want that well. I want my well. And so what I got to do is I got to dig that well, though. God didn't dig that well for me. And so I hope you're following this. Some of you may be doing this right now. You just dig, 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 digging, 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 digging over here. And it's wearing you out. And you're tired all the time. And you don't sleep at night. But every once in a while you get a little bit of water. So that's good. So you keep digging, 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 digging. And you're working yourself to death. And you get a little bit of power, a little bit of joy, a little bit of significance, a little bit of safety. Even though you've got an entirely full, everlasting water of life well over here, you are digging over here. Anybody doing that? Did you ever stop to consider maybe you're digging in the wrong place? That's what it means to follow another God. 
You, some of you men I talk to, you're like, I've been over here for 20 years. I can't make anything happen. And I'm like, that's what happens when you follow other gods. I don't know why we're surprised. I don't know why I'm surprised. The people in Judges 10 are digging in the wrong spot. They rejected God and replaced God with something else. So by the time we get to verse 15, it says, the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. That, that's repentance. That's different than help. That's we're digging in the wrong place. We sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord and became impatient over the misery of Israel. Listen, they had decided finally in the cycle, we see it over and over and over, we have dug here long enough. We're ready to come back to the the living water. In verse 17, the Ammonites were called to arms and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said one to another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. What are they saying? We need a hero. We need a fighter. Enter Jephthah, the foolish judge. And some of you are like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know much about him yet, but he seems like hero status. Jephthah the Gilead was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. They had to put that in there. Here's why. They don't really like him. They don't like this guy, but you'll see why they need him. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you the son of another woman, prostitute. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob and worthless fellows. I love that. That's his friends. That's his friend group. Worthless fellows. Hey, who do you sit with at lunch? Worthless fellows. That's another way to say it. They're like outlaws. Kind of like pirates, honestly. They're like those people in a movie that come into town and take what they want, and then they go out and live at the edge of town. Tob, man, it's out there. That's Jephthah. That's the bad guy. But now they need him to be the good guy. You catching this? They're all collected around him, and they went out with him. So he's got a whole band of guys with him. And after a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. He was considered and written as what kind of man? Worthless. You are worthless to us. We don't even like you. You're not even in the inheritance. We ran you out of town. We don't want you back in town. But now... We need you. We need a fighter. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader. I mean, they went way ahead. They knew he could do it. Come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of the Gilead, you got to be kidding me. That's what he said. But this is what he really said. Okay. Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? Are you seeing a theme here? I hope you are. What was God's response to them at first too? Did you catch it? Oh, you're going to follow all those seven gods? Well, good luck with that. And then they go to their hero. Now the heroes are starting to pick up on this as well. Well, you didn't, you didn't even like me a week ago. Now you need me. And they said something back to him, right? The elders of Gilead said to him, that is why we've turned to you now, which makes no sense. 
that makes no sense. We drove you out so that we could bring you back? You know, they're like back on their heels. They didn't expect the pirate to have words. That you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. We went from not really liking you to we're going to put you in charge. So I titled the sermon, The Foolish Judge, but they are all fools. They are all fools. We don't like you, but we really need you. Come back and we'll put you in charge. And Jephthah says what? Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's get them. Let's go. Get the pirates. Get the outlaws. Let's do this. And he tries a couple tactics. The first tactic is diplomat Jephthah. And he goes to the other king, and he says a statement, and it goes like this. Jephthah says, I'm going to skip ahead because there's a lot of verses there, so I'm going to summarize it for you. He says, why are you attacking us? They go for the fighter, and he starts as a diplomat. And you'll find later, he's a terrible diplomat. The king says, you took our land. He has a three-point speech that goes like this. It wasn't your land, it was someone else's that we took. You, you hear that? Wait a minute, what? They're all like, what? The pirate. Like, he put his eye patch up and said that, you know. Uh, number two, they attacked us, and we fought back to keep our land. Like, this makes no sense. Number three, if this land is yours as you say, and a gift from your God, Shamash, remember, they sacrificed their kids, then use that God's power to help you out. That's his three-point diplomatic strategy. And you know what they say? We'll be right over to give you a whooping. That's what they say. We'll be right there. And they do. Not the desired result. Now we're going to war. And let me tell you, the Ammonites, they're way better at war than the Gilead. Way better at it. But they got the pirate judge, and he knows how to fight. It's like, he's not good at diplomatin, but he's good at fighting. Ain't too good with words, good with his fists, all right? So in verse 30, here's the plan. And Jephthah made a vow. Everybody, stick a pin in that, because we're going to come back to that one. He made a vow to the Lord, and he said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Every one of you should say, seriously? That's the plan? You see what he's saying? When we come home from our victory, whatever comes out of the front door first, I will kill as a sacrifice to you, Lord. And all you have to do is give me the day. So Jephthah crossed over the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand, and he struck them from Aor, the neighborhood of Meneth, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Karaman, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Yea, God, we did it. Pirate guy did it. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines, with dances. She was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. You catching? And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take it back now. Why not? And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord, Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. 
Verse 37, she said to him, let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone for two months that I may go down to the mountains and weep for my virginity. It just means she's not married. She doesn't have a mate. And I with my companions. And he said, go. And he sent her away for two months and they departed. And she and her companions, she wept in the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. He killed her. He sacrificed her. And verse 40 says, The daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. You see now why I called this one the foolish judge. Up until that moment, you're like, he just seems like a scrappy fighter. But he is a fool. So let me repeat my question. Have you ever stopped to consider maybe you're following the wrong God? Do you see where Jephthah's digging got him? Where are you digging? What don't you see? I mean, let's look at this vow, because I told you to stick a pin in it. That's kind of an understatement, right? That's kind of the balance of this entire story of Jephthah is this, this silly, stupid vow that he made. Maybe, maybe he thought an animal was going to come out of the door. Maybe that's what was going on in his head. Maybe he thought when he gets back, uh, an animal will be the first thing to come out the door. But that, that, that probably isn't at all what he believed. He knew what was coming out. He knew it would be a human. An- they didn't keep animals in their house. They aren't like us, all right? They weren't their fur babies, and they didn't dress them up. You know, like, they, those were animals. They stayed outside. Well, maybe, surely, surely he didn't kill his daughter. You see, we approach judges, and we think, no, there's no way that really happened. No, he did. He really did. Now, I don't think he intended it for it to be her, but he did intend it to be a human sacrifice. So I may ask this question. Why did he make this stupid vow? I had an Old Testament professor I love. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life, and I remember we studied this, and he said, my takeaway for you today is this. Don't make stupid vows. I was like, that's excellent. That's an excellent piece of advice. But why did Jephthah do it? Idolatry idolatry. This is how you please the pagan God. This is how you did it. You sacrifice to gain. You sacrifice to impress. You want power. You want joy. You want significance. You want safety. Then sacrifice something. To be clear, God doesn't ever require that. God did not say, if you sacrifice, I will give you, I will give them into your hand. He didn't say that. He said, what about Abraham? That story's about faith and obedience, and he didn't sacrifice. Not his son. You may say, well, how can he actually do it? How did he actually go through with it? Can I just tell you, this is probably one of the greatest parallels between the time of Judges and our time now, and it's going to maybe be, it might catch you a little second here. Violence means nothing to them. Boy, do I see that in our culture. Violence is an afterthought. This unspeakably horrific act, no big deal. No big deal. Do you you ever just become desensitized to things? I mean, Jephthah knew the weight of what he was doing, but I think the violence part was like, hey, you know what? We got to do it. It's kind of like our culture, isn't it? Oh, another murder? Eh, not affected. Another hundred abortions? Eh, no big deal. Oh, there was a shooting? I wonder what the Philly score is. We've just become so desensitized to this, right? 
I mean, you get the connection. Violence just isn't even that big of a deal anymore. This was thousands of years ago. And I'm just curious, do you have any areas of your life that you've just become desensitized to? And you may be in that desensitized, you're like, have I ever stopped to consider, maybe I'm following the wrong gods. Like if those things don't bother me, maybe just maybe I'm digging in the wrong place. Maybe I've rejected the fountain of eternity for my own little hole that I'm digging. Like maybe, maybe just maybe. Hey, what, maybe, honestly, what are you sacrificing in order to make your idol happy? Okay, how about this? Did he actually go through with it? Yes. Why? I've had this question before. Why did he go through with it? Why did he go through with it? He didn't just, you know, he didn't just say something stupid and realize a couple hours later, oh, oh, I shouldn't have said that, right? No, he thought about this for two months. That's measured time of thinking. And then he went through with it. He's a foolish judge. Why? Because of this. This is a big deal. You see, in showing us that he was willing to go through with his silly vow, he is showing us that he has no concept of grace. He has no concept of how God actually operates. He has no concept. He's actually trying to earn God's favor. God, if you give me this, I will give you this. Are you kidding me? That, that's just not how it works. God doesn't give us favor based on what we give him. You guys know this. He, he loves me. Why? Because he loves me. I don't have to sacrifice I don't have to take something to him and say, boy, I hope this is good enough for you to love me. There's nothing I could take to him. You say, well, man, couldn't he have not kept the vow? I was going to make you guys vote, but I'm not going to do that today. Couldn't he have not kept the vow? Could he have not gone through with it? At the end of the two months when she came back, could he have said, you know what? It's off. Could he have done that? Absolutely, 100% yes. He absolutely could have said, daughter, I made a big mistake, and I want you to see me praying to God. I wrote out a prayer that he should have written. It should have gone like this. Lord, I made a stupid vow. I made a vow thinking that that is how you operate. I know that I didn't get a victory back there on the Ammonites because of my stupid vow, because that's not how it works. Please forgive me for thinking that that's how you work. I repent. I receive forgiveness. That's what he should have said. Instead, he said, well, I got to go through with it. I got to do it. And I'm just curious for those of you that maybe have been considering like, where am I digging, you know? Do you, are you just so deep down in the hole that you think you just got to try to find the bottom? Well, I said this is what I would do. What, what would your repentance prayer sound like if you wrote it out today? Lord, I've been digging in the wrong hole. Lord, I've been trying to do things for you that I know I shouldn't be doing. Maybe you made a vow. I will be successful. I will be this. And God's over here saying, I'm giving you the fountain of life. You rejected it and replaced it. God, I know that there's no deal I can make with you. That's what we should be saying. There is only receiving. There's no deal I can make with you. There's only receiving. Let's get to the end of his judging in 12. The men of Ephraim, this is his home team, by the way. This is his people. They, they were called to arms and they crossed Zaphon and, to, and said to Jephthah, they're kind of mad, okay? Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites? 
and did not call us to go with you. This is a running theme in Judges also. They're pretty violent about it. We'll burn your house over you with fire. Seems pretty reactionary. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites, and when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. So they say you didn't call, and he says you did call. You're starting to see the foolish diplomat in this, right? All these different times, death could have been averted. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand, crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? These are his hometown people. And then Jephthah gave it to all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, you are fugitives to Ephraim. You, you don't even count anymore. Basically, he's flipping the tables on them. You Gileadites in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan, so the crossings, against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said to them, are you an Ephraimite? And they said, No. Of course not. So you should just let us ride on over. You know, that's, what, that's basically what they're saying. And they said, say Sibboleth. And they, and they can't say it. They said Sibboleth because they can't pronounce it right. And they killed him. And some of you are like, what in the world are we even reading? That's how they knew? Different people say that word different ways. They couldn't say the shh sound. Can you guys say it? Shh. Thank you. That's what you should do when I'm preaching. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ephraim, they couldn't say the shh sound. They could only make the shh sound. So when they said, say shibboleth, they said, sibboleth. Nope, you're not one of us. Kill him. That's crazy. Just death over dialect? It's like, it's like you know, I'm from Appalachia, okay? But some of you say Appalachia. That's not right. That's the incorrect way to say that. And as the Eastern Kentucky Cultural Ambassador, let me tell you, there's no sound in that, all right? Now, I've, I've been gone long enough. I say both now because I can't keep it straight in my head. But, but that's not going to get you killed, I don't think. I don't think. The guy said it wrong. And so they seized him and slaughtered him. And in fact, they did that to 42,000 of the Ephraimites. Violence means nothing. We're so desensitized. I mean, they killed them over phonetics. You're not one of us. I mean, I would say thank the Phoenicians, but in this case, it's like it got them in a lot of trouble, which is kind of the same time period, you know? Jephthah judged Israel six years. I bet they were awesome six years. And then Jephthah the Gilead died and was buried in the city of Gilead. So after him came some notable mentions. Ibsen, Elon, Abdom, we're not going to cover them because we want to get to Samson next week. Here's what I want to do. I want to discuss that question. I think I can do it in four minutes. What, if, if I'm going to consider that I'm digging in the wrong place, what do I need to consider in order to answer this question? The question of, am I following the wrong gods? Do I understand grace as it is in the Bible? What do I need to do? So how about this? How much of this culture have I made part of my faith? How much of the culture we live in have I made part of my faith? Here's what I mean. You can become desensitized very quickly. You know that, right? You can begin to look at God through the lens of our culture rather than looking at the culture through God's lens. That can happen very quickly. How you see it and take it in matters. 
Do you enter culture and just go along to get along? Do you reject it altogether, you know, like, nope, we're out, we're done, we're going to get one of them hats, grow a beard, maybe raise a barn, like, maybe you're that. Or do you enter it slowly and critically? Affirm things when possible, but you're ready to speak truth. How much of it is desensitizing you, though? Which is best? I, I don't know. But how you do it matters. I can't tell you how important it is for you to spend daily, daily time with God and his word, speaking truth, saying it out loud, reading truth, allowing that to be the thing that sensitizes you. It's a big theme of the book of Judges is you must understand who God is and who we are. There's a differential. Second thing, have I redefined God's grace to make it work? Boy, we do that a lot. God's grace is where you start. You get to know it. It's beautiful, but it's a mystery. We often attempt to redefine it to make it work for us. As we do, we, we do things. Here's how we do it. We do things for God, not with God. The world says, obey, and you will be accepted, right? God's grace says, believe. Believe, because it's already done. Believe, because it's already done. Listen, when Jesus was on the cross, what were his last words? Do you know? Three words. It is finished. You know what he didn't say? Now it's your turn. Whew, I did my part. Now you meet me halfway. I reject that 100%. God didn't say, meet me halfway. He said, I'm right there. I'm on top of you. I'm right here. Last one, and then we'll do some ministry time. Do I need a better God? Yes. A recurring theme in the series of Judges is brokenness brokenness. Jephthah was a fool, but he was broken. He was broken. I mean, you could get into his upbringing. They kicked him out. Of course he was the way he was. He didn't understand God, though. That was his biggest flaw. He was broken. All the judges are broken. All of us are broken. All of us need an unbroken Savior. You know, Jesus, in the, in the eyes of the world, was broken. He was an outsider. I don't think he was a pirate, but he was an outsider. They ran him off. How many towns did Jesus get run out of? Whew, all of them. He was despised. He was rejected. And we, we didn't even have to go out to the edge of town and call him to come back. He did it willingly. Jesus came for us and he made a promise and he kept it. He did come with truth, diplomacy, right? He told us the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Very straightforward about it. And when it came time to die, it was his life, not ours, right? He took his own. He died. He gave it up. It is finished. I give it to you freely. And I'm so grateful that Jesus, did, like Jesus' plan wasn't to come, take Mark out back, work him over real good, show him who's boss, and then put him back into the culture. That's how he did it. He came and found me broken and healed me, made me whole. And like all the other judges, Jephthah points directly to Jesus, who is the perfect Savior, who was broken for the broken. And I don't know what hole you're trying to dig. This is the one you want. Everlasting joy. Everlasting life. 
everlasting safety and security and power and the, the, the type of notoriety that you don't even think you want. Jesus offers all of those things. And so, Father God, as we pray to you right now, and we see where we have made foolish vows. Maybe, obviously, God, maybe not like this, but I'll bet we've made vows to you that we will sacrifice things in order to gain your attention or gain your love. Or maybe we've made sacrifices to some idols in our life. Oh, man, the more of this I get, the more of that I can have. And I pray today we wouldn't leave here and double down on those things. That we'd start with saying, I am sorry. And start with saying, I'm not going to be about that anymore. I'm going to find true rest in you. And God, there's probably people here even now that they don't know you. They might as well be living on the edge of town, just wondering. But today you met them. And you have great news for them because, because if they will confess their sins, God, I know this. You are faithful to forgive them, that you sent your son Jesus for them. He ain't meeting them halfway. He's right there right now. And your word says, God, that if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you are Lord, that you are, that Jesus, you are king, that you are faithful to save us, to make us whole again. So if you're here today, guys, you know you need forgiveness. You know you need to not dig that hole anymore. Let me offer this to you. You can pray right now to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. He won't just save a little bit of you. He saves all of you. So you can pray with me right now. You say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you died for me. I know that you were buried in a grave for me. And I know you rose to life for me. And today I admit, I admit my mistakes. And I believe that you are God. And you are my Savior. You are my Lord. And from this day forward, I will follow you. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Amen.